Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. You can find me on Twix, Twitter X, at Fantasy Ace Ball. Please give me a follow there. Long time no hear, see, speak, <laughs> whatever. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since I've been on. That doesn't mean I haven't been working on fantasy baseball stuff. I have been working on perfecting my F scores because I have made changes going into 2024 upgrades as I would call them. I wouldn't make (laughs) changes that make my system worse, my model worse. So I have made upgrades to the F F score system and I'm supposed to have a special guest on sometime in the next couple of weeks here. We're still trying to figure out a time and date that works. It got pushed. It was supposed to be recorded yesterday and come out. Um, But I'm going to have Mr. John Anderson on the podcast who is more or less a correlation expert in data. One of the premier fantasy baseball data people out there, data scientists. I don't know if I want to call him a data scientist, data personas. Uh, but he's going to be on the podcast. We're going to talk about changes to my F scores, correlations, things that he likes about my F scores, doesn't like about my F scores, uh, things I should include, shouldn't include. Um, and we'll just talk generally about statistics and correlations. It's going to be an interesting, fun podcast where hopefully uh, everybody will learn a lot when listening. But until that time, when we can finally get a working time together, I have a little mini podcast for y'all today. Uh, we'll talk about some news, talk about some notes, and we will also be talking about some correlation data that I've done for rookies uh, and how you should view rookies and their stats in the minors when they come up to the major league level. So that's what this podcast is going to be about. Let's start off with some news. Most of it's bad. (laughs) Some of it's good. I am recording on uh, Saturday, October 14th. So we have our uh, NLCS and ALCS set. We got Phillies and Diamondbacks, which is a big surprise, really. Diamondbacks moving on. I did not see that one coming. And then we've got uh, a Texas showdown, y'all, between the Rangers and the Astros, which, honestly, that one doesn't really surprise me too much because both teams are quite excellent. The Rangers had some uh, negative vibes going into the end of the season, but they picked it up, and it's going to be fun to watch these series. Uh, The Texas one's going to be fun. Uh, Diamondbacks and Phillies are going to be interesting. I think most people expect the Phillies to just blow out the Diamondbacks. Um, especially because the Diamondbacks really only have Zach Allen for pitching. And in a seven-game series, it's, they're going to be stretched very thin on their starting pitching. So um, I'd be very, very surprised if the Diamondbacks won. Like, to me, it's like a 95% chance the Phillies win that series. Now, Rangers and Astros, I'm actually going to give the edge to the Rangers. I'm going to give a 55% edge to the Rangers in that series. I think the Rangers are going to come out, and we're going to get a Phillies-Rangers World Series, which is going to be a ton of fun. I'm going to probably bank on the Phillies winning that. I think the Phillies are my team to win it this year. Um, they were really close last year. They were a really, really strong team. And it's potentially the last year of Aaron as a Philly, depending on if they resign him. So big year for the Phillies. Uh, because if they lose Nola and don't replace him, that's a bit of a hole. Um, I mean, obviously, you've got Andrew Painter, who's going to be up maybe second half of next season when he comes back. But – that's a pretty big hole to fill on your team. So, news, notes, injuries. Sandy Alcantara, Tommy John, Sia, all of 2024. Um, it's unfortunate. You know, we had kind of expected some sort of injury with the way that the season ended for Sandy. But, uh, and the way the season went this year, too, wasn't his, his, one of his worst years in the last three, four, five years. So, Sandy going down. With TJ, shouldn't be a surprise. Dude throws like 99, 98, 99, 100 pretty constantly. And uh, he hasn't had it yet. So makes sense. But it's a good time to get it, really, because he's just going to miss one season and should pretty much be back in full force for 2025 with the timing of the injury. So could could have been worse. Uh, Max Scherzer, talking about ALCS, Scherzer is going to be ready to pitch in the ALCS. Now, I didn't see if he's going to be starting or if he's going to be coming out of the pen. Uh the way he has worked back, I don't know. It match, it's Max Scherzer. So that's the reason why I wouldn't, you know, like I wouldn't put anything in doubt with Max Scherzer. But um, 
we'll see how they handle his innings and workload at the end of the season here. Next, Pete Alonso hired Scott Boris. So that right there, and then the trade rumors of Alonso in the offseason, that may flag a po- very high potential of a Pete Alonso trade this offseason. Like, I feel like if Pete Alonso doesn't sign a long-term deal with the Mets this offseason, he is going to be traded, either this offseason or at the deadline. Joey Votto wants to come back for another season. Very interesting, even if it's not for the Reds. Because obviously the Reds have a very, very crowded team. So I could see Votto coming back in like a kind of like a bench role slash coach role slash DH role more than anything with the Reds. Seeing him in another uniform would be so strange. Um, I don't know. Where's Votto from? That may play into like where he plays if he goes to another team. So where is Joey Votto from? What is his home team? Because he has been a career Red, which I hate when a player is a, with a team his entire career, and then he goes to another team. He's from Toronto. So could we really see Joey Votto go to the Blue Jays for a year? What would they do? Like, he would DH instead of Brandon Belt, I guess. And uh, I don't know how long Belt is signed there, but obviously you have Ladd. So I don't know what they would do. Manny Machado, elbow surgery. Uh, should be healthy to start the year, which is good news for Manny. Byron Bucks and knee surgery. Should be healthy to start the year, but this dude's always hurt, so it's Byron Buxton. Surprise, surprise. I'm just not in on him anymore. And, you know, I don't – I really haven't. I can't remember the last Byron Buxton share I've had. Had to be when he was like a rookie coming up. Like That's how long I have been out of Byron Buxton and his injuries. Uh, Alex Kirilov, shoulder surgery. This dude is always hurt even more than Buxton. Like, seriously, how old is he now? He's like 27. Has he – He's got to be like 26, 27. His next year's age 27 season. Next year's age 26. Just always hurt. Um, I am completely out on Alex Kirilov. Forever and always. Brendan Woodruff, shoulder surgery. And Sia, most of 2024. This sucks especially for Raymond and I because we have a $15 Brendan Woodruff, which was a steal in the odd new podcasters league. And he was supposed to be our ace. So... That's bad for us. Uh, good thing is we have a lot of really good young pitchers in that league, so it's not the end of the world, but probably not going to keep him now. Uh, Kyle Wright, shoulder surgery. See you all of 2024. This guy's going to be a one and done. We'll probably never see a good season from Kyle Wright again. I'd be surprised if we do. And apparently there are rumors that Yadi Yadier Molina, as a Cardinals fan, I have to say this one, could be coming in as a bench coach for the Cardinals next year. I'd love that. Let's bring Yachty back. We need some fire in that dugout. That is what the team was missing. We need fire in the dugout. Uh, divisional round. Let's talk about the playoffs a little bit. Here's some standouts from the playoffs. Evan Carter just blowing up. This guy's going to get drafted way too high next year, unfortunately. Um, but if he's leading off for the Rangers or hitting second or something for the Rangers next year to start the year, he is going to be very, very valuable. I always had him as a cop of... Shin Su Chu, and he's like already doing it. Like 400 on base, 2020. That's Evan Carter, Shin Su Chu. That was the comp I've been placing on him for like three years now in my prospects. This is what he is. Shin Su Chu, but he's a white dude, so live with it. Uh, Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray had an excellent playoff. I know his last start out wasn't as great, um, but this dude's going to get paid this offseason. It'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Gabriel Moreno. Three homers in the playoffs already. Only seven during the season. And he's kind of on a hot streak. I talked about it a lot on the podcast. He was on a hot streak after the trade deadline. Like, since the trade deadline, he was on fire. And he's carried that in the playoffs. So Moreno has figured something out because his issue has always been hitting the ball on the ground. He's a very high-contact hitter. And he hits the ball pretty hard. But it's like Yandy Diaz syndrome here. He's hitting the ball on the ground. But I think he's figured how to elevate the ball a little more and that is going to create a lot of additional value from Reno and he's going to get a lot of steam at the beginning of the year next year because of this playoff run. Nick Cassianos, another guy. Uh, he's been destroying baseballs, especially the last series. So Cassianos against the Braves just completely destroyed them. Um, this is a guy who's going to definitely be a lot higher next year as far as draft position than probably he deserves to be because of this playoff run. Zach Wheeler, 
I don't think this is an over uh, a situation where he gets overdrafted. I just think Zach Wheeler is the real deal. I think we got a top five starter here. And I know I, I was down on him a little into the season. I haven't like number 11 or something. I think he had an injury at the beginning of the year. And so I dropped him a little bit. Um, but he's been a top 10 starter for four or five years now. Zach Wheeler's the man. Aaron Nola, another guy, really strong playoff after a rough season. The good news is that people who are huge football people and, and then their team is out of the playoffs, you're going to be able to get Nola at very good value next year, especially if he goes to a team with a good pitcher's park. Like if he goes to the Cardinals, really strong pitcher's park, Nola is going to be a top 10 starter next year. So watch Aaron Nola and his value. Overinflation here on Royce Lewis. Everybody's talking about Royce Lewis. The postseason is done. Maybe people will forget. Football will make them forget. But Royce Lewis is going to have a lot of steam next year. And he's deserved it, to be quite honest. I would still draft him high. Uh, he can't be have, – he. I don't think he's Kirilov and Buxton. I know he's had injuries. I think a lot of it's been bad luck. But I think I'm still going to be buying Royce Lewis high next year. Alec Thomas. Alec Thomas. This guy has had a very strong postseason – Really up to stock here. Uh, but the thing is, no one's really going to be paying attention except for very, very big baseball fans because he's in Arizona. He hasn't had the same uh, hype as Gabriel Moreno or as Corbin Carroll. So Alec Thomas is going to be under the radar by next year going into the season. I thought he was going to be this year too, but some of these guys just take a little bit longer to break out. So Alec Thomas might be one of those guys because he was a very, very good hitter in the minors and just hasn't been able to get there in the majors and has had some bad luck as well. The metrics have been, always been pretty good from Thomas. So Thomas, I think, is going to be a nice buy low next year. Um, Corbin Carroll, is gonna, he's going to be a top five pick next year, possibly. Well, he should be a top five pick in every league next year. Trey Turner. I think Trey Turner has earned his way back into being a first-round pick again next season. He ended the season very well. Everybody knows about the whole, oh, standing ovation, applause thing, uh, which really got him going. And he's destroyed in the playoffs. So Trey Turner really brought his value back. I think he's going to stick in the first round next year. Nate Evaldi, uh, really nice run here for Nate Evaldi after coming back from the injury. And Jordan Montgomery, these Texas Rangers pitchers, they're going to be nice buys next year. And Montgomery's a free agent, so it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Uh, depending on these free agent pitchers, a lot of it depends on where he goes. I mean, like, if Colorado pays him a shitload of money, then you're going to be out on Jordan Montgomery. So, you know, like, it could be Chris Bright for Jordan Montgomery. So we'll see what happens with some of these guys. Arizona Fall League. I'm just going to mention some names here. I'm not really going to get too in-depth into the stats, but these are guys who have really stood out in the Arizona Fall League, and some of these guys needed it, and some of these guys should have been standing out. Kyle Manzardo, he really needed it. He had a rough season this year. He's had a strong AZL. It's going to really give him a boost into potentially breaking camp with the Guardians next year as the first baseman. That is what should happen. So Manzardo doing well. Colson Montgomery. This is a guy that I think could easily break camp with the White Sox next year and could be a stud. A lot of people don't know his name. He doesn't have a lot of the, you know, the, the pedigree that some of these other guys have had, like Ellie De La Cruz, etc. But Colson Montgomery is a... I think he can put up like a Carlos Cray. Everyone wants to comp him to Corey Seager because he's a big lefty shortstop. But I think that his statistics are probably going to look more like Carlos Correa than Corey Seager. Um, but still, very, very good player that you can get probably pretty cheap next year if he breaks camp. Uh, AJ Preller, people give him so much crap. But he's such a good like drafter. He's so good at developing prospects and finding prospects. Graham Pauly and Jacob Marcy, like he traded almost his entire system for Juan Soto last year. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, don't forget, we got Jackson Merrill and Robbie Snelling and uh, Graham Pauly and Jacob Marcy. It's like, how does this guy find these guys? Like Preller is the best scout in baseball. He's the best GM at developing and scouting players in all of baseball. This is why the Padres should never get rid of Preller. Maybe you like – take some responsibility away from him as far as actively managing the roster and the team. But he needs to be in charge of developing and play and finding play. Like he is just so good at it. He's the best. Uh, Chase DeLauder after injury 
injury season, he's really skyrocketing. I think we're going to see him next year in the majors. Another guy, Victor Scott. If the Cardinals trade some of these guys like Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill, Victor Scott the second could be the starting center fielder next year. They have already actively talked about having Lars Newbar as their starting left fielder and Jordan Walker as their starting right fielder, which means, okay, so Carlson, I guess, in center field. What are they going to do with Tyler O'Neill? Alec Burleson is dead meat. Juan Yepes is dead meat. What are you going to do with these corner guys? Um, Victor Scott, man. Victor Scott already has like nine steals in Arizona Fall League. This, guy's, this guy is the wind. This guy is Astoria Ruiz, a better Astoria Ruiz maybe even. Um, Victor Scott the second, good good player. Pitchers, Ricky Tiedemann, 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 uh, Blue Jays, he's on. He's getting back there. We're going to see him in the majors next year. Cooper Jerpy with the Cardinals, he was hurt this year, so it is good to see him performing very well. He only pitched in high A, which, like, as a college draftee, like, I don't, I hate when the Cardinals do this. The Cardinals are infamous about this. They draft college guys and then start them in A ball. It's so stupid. If you're college guys, need to start in high A. Low A is for high schoolers. You don't have as many levels anymore. Like, the Cardinals are so bad at developing prospects. And as a Cardinals fan, it really just pisses me off. <laughs> uh, Carter Baumler. Uh, Orioles prospect. This dude's a stud. He's a stud. Uh, straight up. Carter Baumler is a guy to watch. He could be the number three, the three-headed horse here of Bradish and G-Rod and Baumler. They may not need to sign a big name. It will help. Like, if they go out and sign Aaron Noah, of course it's going to help. But if I'm the Orioles, I might be going after, like, one of those Japanese starters to add to the starting rotation as, like, a number three type guy. Because then you've got Baumler coming up, stick Dale Hall in the pen. Like that's probably what I would be doing if I'm the Orioles. Jackson Job, big names, right? All big names. Jackson Job showing that he's getting it done. Made it all the way to Double A. Uh, now playing well in AZL. He's going to be up next year for the Tigers at some point, I think. Logan Workman. This is a name that is a little bit of uh, ha- has a little bit of a pedigree, just a tad. Um, but Logan Workman playing very well, 24-year-old. Um, played sometimes in the, sometime in the majors, so we got a major leader here. But he's looking like he could be one of these Rays guys because this is what the Rays do, right? He looks like he could be one of these Rays guys that comes up, comes out of nowhere and does a decent job out of nowhere. So just a name for the radar, Logan Workman. That is what's happening in the Arizona Fall League. Okay. Rookie correlations. So what I'm going to talk about here, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how I did this research first to give you a background of what I did. But basically, I took all qualified rookies, hitters and pitchers, right? And I made a correlation table. A lot of, this this took a lot of time. (laughs) But I made a correlation table. I pulled all the rookie stats of every single qualified rookie in baseball in 2023. And then what I did is I took all these rookies and this is what took so much time. Cause that's easy to pull from. All you have to do is search rookie qualified, qualified rookies and put all, throw all their stats in a, in a spreadsheet. Right. But what I did was I took those numbers and I averaged and tiered them out and tried to eliminate standard deviations, which is a little hard um, because there are outliers, obviously. So I tried to get rid of some of the outliers when doing this. So I took their stats and then I took all of the, these, I took all these same players who qualified. I took all their double A and triple A stats over the last two years. So I took all their double A and triple A stats in a separate table. And I did the same thing. I got rid of the outliers and then I averaged them out to get averages in all the stats that are going to line up with my F scores. And it's a lot of them. But some of these stats, one of the problems is that we don't have data from AA on a lot of these. And AAA, we didn't have data in 2022. We just have 2023 data. So I'm missing a lot of statistics that I wish we had, like most of the StatCast data. So for instance, for hitters, we don't have AA contact rate and zone contact rates. We don't have chase rate data at all for minor league hitters. We don't have barrel rates for minor league hitters. 
we don't have EVs for double A hitters, only triple A. And that's only from last year, from 2023, not from 2022. So there's a lot of missing data that I would love to have that would help improve my rookie processing for the F scores. This is one of the things I've talked about a lot about where my F scores are missing out. And primarily, I'm going to talk more about it in the next podcast with John, but primarily uh, one of the hardest things for me to do in my F scores, and I've been working on making this better, fine tuning this over the last couple of years. Last year, it got better from the first year. So 2022 is the first year that I released my F scores publicly. And then 2023 is the second. Now 2024 is going to be the third year. So from 2022 to 2023, I really sharpened it by doing correlation data like this. Whereas 2022, I was using a lot of other people's data. I use actually a lot of John's data for correlations for rookies. But I feel like I've, th- what I've done is this is accurate data, right? I'm literally pulling the stats of all qualified hitters and pitchers, rookies of 2023, and pitting them against their double A AA and triple A data, which is going to give me, because most rookies aren't coming from high A like friggin' AJ Smith Shaver. Most of them are coming from double or triple. So we have a decent sample size of data to combat against their rookie data to give us correlations of, okay, how much better or worse are these players playing when they move up levels, right? That is the goal of this research. So we have missing links that, and that if I could fill in would help fill in some of the holes and better and provide us better, a better correlation overall. That's what we're missing here is a better overall correlation uh, between rookies and how their F score, how how I judge rookie F scores in their rookie years. So basically, like anyone who's a rookie or a second year player, like a Jordan Walker next year, where I only have one full data of major league data, and then uh, all the other data I'm pulling is minor league data. It, it's they're not going to be as accurate in my F score charts as someone who has three years under their belt or two full years under their belt or five years under their belt. The longer someone is in the majors, that gives me more data to pull from to get a better read on the F score. So there's going to be wider range of outcomes with these younger players in the F scores, which is something that's very important that I want to highlight to every listener and every one of my readers who goes to, who actually uses my F scores to help better their leagues that the younger, the player, the wider range of outcomes, the less data I have, the wider range of outcomes should make sense. Now pitchers, there's so much stuff I'm missing. Like I for pitchers, I do not have fastball velocities for pitchers unless they're in AAA. So I'm missing all AA fastball velocity. I don't have CSW. I don't have stuff plus. I don't have pitch, uh, first pitch strike rate. I don't have chase rate data. I don't have location plus. I don't have Sierra. I have to use XFIP because I don't have Sierra for minor leaguers. I don't have barrel rates. This is all stuff that goes into my... Barrel rates against. This is all stuff that goes into my F score formulas for pitchers that I do not have data from for rookies. So this is why it makes it so much harder. This is why my data isn't as sharp for these minor league players and these rookies and second year players than it is for someone who's been in the league for three, four, five, ten years. Um, so just remember that when using my F scores, wider range of outcomes. Now I'm going to provide some data here for my analysis. That is going to help you as a player sharpen your skills when you're evaluating rookies yourself. If you're looking at a rookie's fangrass page and you're looking at their double A AA or triple A stats, these are things that you can use to help you kind of get a better read on what they're going to do at the major league level versus their minor league stats. Now, the first thing I'm going to talk about is WRC+. Uh, there was an article from Fangraphs on w- WRC Plus and levels and age. That is really, really good. I can't remember who wrote it, but Eno actually talked about it a few times during Rates and Barrels this year. If you're a Rates and Barrels listener, you could probably search WRC Plus and rookie correlations and it'll pop up. But I would search that great article. And I'm just going to summarize it here briefly. But basically, that data sh- says that for each year of age that a player is under the average age of player of that level, you should be adding approximately w- or 25 WRC+. plus. So 
That means that Jackson Merrill, as a 19-year-old in Double A, when if the average Double A player, I think it's like actually 22 or 23, but let's just say it's 21. I think it's 20. I think it is 22. So if the average average Double A player is 22 years old and Jackson Churio is 19, then that means you need to add 75 WRC plus. So Jackson Churio, just for the sake of round numbers, has a 100 WRC plus as a 19-year-old in Double A. That means that technically you should be looking at him as like a 175 WRC plus player. And now how does this work in reverse? That's something that is, I've always thought of. So if you have Vaughn Brown, right, who is, was 24 at high A last year or whatever and had a 195 WRC plus, that means if the average high A player is 21, we should probably be subtracting out 75 WRC plus. That means he's like a, a 120 WRC plus player. So I think it works in reverse and forwards like if you have a 30 year old just destroying triple a it's like okay he's 30 years old who cares um so that matters and i take this research and account when i'm doing my prospect rankings uh it's important to me age to level is a very important thing to me so remember there's just kind of like a rule of thumb age to level is about 25 wrc plus now my data shows that the jump from double a to triple a to the majors on average is approximately a 27 WRC plus difference. That's not 25, but 27. That's just accurate. Um, so we got a 27 WRC plus level jump from double or triple A for, because a lot of people are coming. The reason I use double A too is because a lot of players are promoted directly from double A nowadays. So double A, triple A, triple A is more like a finishing league or just like you put guys back down who are on the 40 man and you don't want them on your team right now. Like triple A is almost becoming like a taxi league. Double A is like the real like finishing league. It's like, okay, if you can dominate double A, you're good enough for the majors. And then triple A is just like, okay, this is basically triple A is almost like quadruple A where you just stick your guys for your taxi squad down on when you don't want them on your major league roster. That is almost what triple A has become. So I use double A and triple A, but the difference is 27 WRC plus. So if you have a guy that comes up and they have a 150 WRC plus in triple A, they get promoted to the majors you should be taking that minus 27. That's what your expectation should be on performance of what you can expect uh, coming in. And that's not small sample size, like over a large sample size at the major league level. That is what this data shows me for all these qualified rookies. Minus 27 WRC plus. Very important. Other stats for hitters. We're going to start the hitters. We'll move to the pitchers. Uh, you can see a drop of about 28 points in Babbitt. So the average of these hitters uh, that I took is a 335 Babbitt in the minors. And then once they get to the majors, it gets it, it's about 306, 307. So there's a 28-point Babbitt drop from minors to majors. And then this is important because if you think there's a 28 28 point bat drop you might just assume it's going to be a 28 point batting average drop too but no the batting average drops significantly more the batting drop average drops 43 points so the average minor leaguer out of all these qualified hitters had a 335 babbit and a 288 batting average at the minor league level then when they came up to the majors the average went down to Babbitt went down to 306, and then the average batting average went down to 244. So there is a average drop of 43 points of batting average from minors to majors. And obviously there are always going to be outliers, and the higher-ranked prospects perform much better than the lower-ranked prospects. Like Royce Lewis hit 308 or whatever. Uh, he was one of the number one guys. Corbin Carroll hit 285. So the better prospects, the higher quality prospects are going to do a better job of this. But they often always have a higher batter too. Uh, so take that into account. Is that like, I'm going to give an example. Zach Galoff had a 331 Babbitt this year. So that's going to help the big batting average drop. But on average, you can assume about a 43-point batting average drop from minors to majors. So if a minor leaguer is hitting 323 at the minor league level, 
that means you can assume they're probably going to hit about 280 in the majors. Make sense? Cool. You may want to listen to this twice because it's very important and to get a grasp on it. You may want to take notes. So listen to it the first time. Come back and listen a second time with a notepad so you can write this stuff down. 43-point drop in batting average minors to majors from double or triple A to the majors. All right, let's get into plate discipline. Plate skills. We see an average drop of 2.5% in walk rate from minors to majors. So the average walk rate it, for, for all these players at the minor league level is about 10.6%, and it went down to 8.1%. So there's a 2.5% walk rate drop from minors to majors. Strikeout rate. Strikeout rate went up 5.1%. So the average minor leaguer that is qualified had a 20% K rate. It went up to 25.1%. Technically 25.2% is 20.1, but semantics. So 5.1% K rate. So at the, what this means is at the minor league level, the average of these qualified hitters had a 10.6% walk rate and 20% K rate. But when they got to the majors, that dropped to an 8% walk rate and then a 25% K rate. So you can expect that the average minor leaguer, when they come up, is going to strike out about 5% more of the time. That means if you have a big home run hitter in the, ma- in the minors who has a 30% K rate, it's probably going to go up to 35% in the majors. That ain't good. If you have a guy uh, who doesn't walk in the minors, if they have a 6% walk rate in the minors, they're going to go down to like 3.5 in the, in the majors. Not good. So you need to take these into account, minus 2.5% walk rate and plus 5.1% K rate. Wrote that down? Cool. Other plate discipline metric that I, that I wanted to note is swing strike rate. Swing strike rate goes up about 1.15%. So the average minor leaguer had a 10.9% swing strike rate. And then when they get to the majors, it goes up to 12.25. So a lot more whiffs when they go up from minors to majors, which pretty much correlates on a percentage level with the K rate. It's pretty close to correlating with the K rate. So makes a lot of sense. Uh, there are more called strikes in the majors too, not all swing strike rates. So like correlation wise, um, it's about a 15% increase minor to majors in swing strike rate and a 25% from uh, straight up strikeout rate. So that means the other 10% is going to be called strikes. So I know there's not a CSW in minor leagues, but that kind of gives a, a clue of what we're looking at. All right, let's get into power numbers, right? Power, power, power for hitters. This is a big one. This is huge, actually. Minor leaguers, when they go to the majors, drop an ISO, 40 points. That's a lot. Oh, my God, 40 points. So the average minor leaguer who qualified this year in the majors had a 199 ISO in the minors. Then when they got to the majors, that went down to 159. So 40-point drop in ISO. So if you see a guy who has a 220 ISO in the minors and they've got like 25 home runs, it's probably going to drop to about 180 at the major league level. And they're probably going to be more like a 20 homer guy instead of a 25 homer guy. Or instead of hitting 40 doubles, they might hit 33 or something like that. Just, just on average. So 40 point drop in ISO minors to majors. Write that one down. ISO is going to obviously connect to OPS and slugging. So you're going to see a bit. You're going to see a drop in batting average of 43 points. Then you're going to see a drop in ISO of 40 points. You're going to see a drop in walk rate of two and a half percent, and you're going to see way more Ks. All this stuff you have to factor in when you're judging a player who's a minor leaguer, and then when they get to the majors. Royce Lewis, if he hits 313 with the 221. ISO in the minors, he's not going to do the same thing in the majors. He's going to have a 180 ISO and he's going to have about a 270 batting average. And then he's going to, instead of striking out 20% of the time, he's going to strike out 25% of the time. Instead of walking 12% of the time, he's going to walk 10% of the time. 
Make sense? Very good. All right, last thing we're going to talk about with hitters is stolen bases. So stolen bases, obviously, people have been running crazy this year. Uh, which means that there's actually, this correlates better than before. It used to be when a guy went from, went from the minors to the majors, the stolen bases dropped a ton. Now, the drop is about 12%. So our 2023 data shows that stolen bases from minor league to major league, on average, these minor leaguers on average per PA or per, uh, per on base incident is what I want to call it, right? Like take hits plus walks uh, per plate appearance. And then you take your stolen bases. I've got an equation for it. That drop, your stolen base rate drops 12%. And then also your rise in cost ceilings goes up 7%, which is going to drop that stolen base. That really doesn't matter. I mean, unless you're in a league where cost ceilings gives you like negative points or whatever. So that doesn't really matter for fantasy, but your average stolen bases are going to go down 12%. So Victor Scott, who had 94 stolen bases or whatever <laughs> this year in the minors and double a, uh, that means that if he comes to the majors and plays a full season, get, let's say he gets seven, 650, 700 at bats. You're looking at still like an 82 stolen base rate. If he got on base at the same amount of times. So that's the other thing you have to factor in. You can't just say, oh, they're going to have 82 stolen bases. Victor Scott's going to have 82 stolen bases next year. I'm going to draft Victor Scott every year. That's not how that works. You have to factor in that he is going to get on base at a much lower rate, right? His walk rate is going to be 2.5% less. His batting average is going to go down 43 points. His ISO is going to be down 40 points. Uh, So that means he's not going to be you know, his, his slugging is going to go down. Maybe he's not, some of the hits are not going to be hits anymore in the majors. So if we take his batting average down 43 points, his walk rate down to two and a half points, he's going to get on base at about seven, maybe six, 75 or 80% of the time. So maybe he, over a full season, Victor Scott can still hit 60 something steals. It's insane. <laughs> it's insane, but it could happen, right? Like he could have 65 steals or whatever, 66 steals if he plays a full season in the major league level. So Victor Scott, I'm popping you up, man. <laughs> Victor, this is the Victor Scott podcast. Okay. Let's get to the pitchers, shall we? That is hitters. Let's get to the pitchers. And John and I are going to talk about more, this a little bit more next week because his data, my data has a higher variance than his data showed from 2020 because he wrote some articles back in 2020 on this, but obviously things have changed. Rules have changed. So that has probably created higher, like more variance to begin with. So that's important. Okay. Pitchers K rate pitcher K rate is down about 6.6%. So a pitcher that has a, the the average pitcher that qualified had a 30 and a half percent, K rate that went down to about 25%. So like, for instance, Emmett Sheehan had like a ridiculous, I'm just, let's see where actually, let me actually bring it up. I have it here. Emmett Sheehan had a 40% K rate, 41% K rate. I did not use that because that's such an outlier. <laughs> so I didn't use that one, but he had a 41% K rate in double A this year. Um, by the way, Chase Silseth, I'm just going to give you a hint here. Chase Silseth is going to be very high up on my boards next year. So Chase Silseth is a freaking man. Like me doing this correlation data, like Silseth is all over the, the, the leaderboards in a lot of his stack has stuff. So like Silseth is going to be very high up in my rankings next year. Anyway, let's use as an example, Reese Olsen. Reese Olsen had about a 27% K rate last year in the minors. So that means that he's going to have like a 20, 21% K rate in the majors on average. I hope that makes sense. I'm using K rate, not K minus walk rate, K rate. Okay. Swing strike rate for pitchers. The average starting pitcher, and this is what's weird, is that these starting pitchers, the swing strike rates dropped a lot more than the average hitters. Because, But you have to remember, these pitchers are in on every pitch they're throwing. This is from rookie or from minor leaguer to rookie, whereas the hitters are hitting are, are hitting against pro pitcher or pro, yeah a lot of pro pitchers, not all rookie pitchers. That's why the swing strike rate doesn't directly correlate from 
1.1% to the 3.45% I have on pitchers. Because the hitters are, pit, are, are not only against rookie pitchers, they're against all pitchers. So I hope that makes sense, what I just said there. You may have to listen to that again, too, for it to make sense. So swing strike rate for pitchers, rookie pitchers, went down 3.45% from minor league to major league. So in minors, they had about a 14.7% swing strike rate. And then in the majors, they had 11.7%. So about three, three points swing strike rate is the difference. So swing strike rate, just keep that in mind, about 3% swing strike rate. So if you have a guy with a 5% swing strike rate, they're probably going to be a 12% guy at the majors. If they're 13 in the minors, they're going to be 10 in the majors. And swing strike rate is a stat a lot of people use to try to correlate and figure out strikeout data, hence why I'm giving it to you. K rate, swing strike rate. They correlate actually too. The drop from minors to majors is about 80% in both cases, 80 to 85% in that range. Uh, 80, it's 82% for K rate, 80% for swing strike rate. But if you take out some of the outliers and play with outlier, day, outlier data, you're looking about 80 to 85% uh, negative drop from minors to majors. This is something that's very, very interesting. Walk rates actually got better. They actually improved from minors to majors. This is probably because of the umps, but it's a very slight improvement. Walk rates got 3% better. So there's a 3% positive correlation. So it's very weird. Like this is the only stat where um, pitchers got better in the when they hit the majors from the minors. And I think it's just because umps get better because pitchers who are going to locate in the minors are going to locate in the same in the majors, which is something very important. So like if you have a pitcher with a really good walk rate in the minors, that's going to translate to the majors. If you have a pitcher with a really crappy walk rate in the minors, that's going to translate to the majors. So like DL Hall, this is why DL Hall is not didn't get significantly better when he went to the majors or like improved because walk rates translate almost one to one for minors and majors. So the walk rate is going to be the same. The strikeout rate is going to go down about six and a half percent, but the walk rate is going to be the same. So if you have a K minus walk rate of twenty two percent or something like that in the minors, the walk rate is going to stay the same. But then the K rate is going to go down 6.6%. So if you have 22%, that means they might be like a 15.5% K minus walk rate guy, which is pretty good at the major league level. I hope all that makes sense. But the good news is that that means, and I talked about this a lot even last year with my F scores. This is why I put such an emphasis on plate discipline and on rookie or on uh, pitcher locations and walk rates. Because like a guy like George Kirby, that's going to translate very well. Whereas a guy like DL Hall, who's all stuff and no command, that doesn't translate well. High command pitchers are going to translate better to the majors, and they're going to have the best, um, the smoothest transition from minors to majors. Because they don't have to make as many adjustments. The location plays at the major league level. Very, very important. All right. And now talking about walk rates. And let's talk about whips a little bit because most whip is in, is a stat in most category leagues, right? Whip's important for fantasy baseball. So whip, the average whip for these minor leaguers was 1.2, but then when they get up to the majors, it goes up to 1.3. Well, that's a pretty big increase. It's about an eight per eight and a half percent increase. I, I'm not going to go into all the minutes, but it's about an eight and a half percent increase on a whip. The average whip is going to go up about 10 points, Right. Minors to majors, 10-point whip. So if you got a 1.2 guy in the minors, they're going to go up to 1.3 in the majors. you got a 1.1 guy in the minors, they're going to go up to 1.2 in the majors. you got a one-whip guy in the minors, they're probably going to be a 1.1 guy in the majors. But you said walks are one-to-one. -one. So how does whip go up a whole 10 points? Hits, that's how. Batting average goes up. Much better hitters in the majors and the minors. So that's all hits. It's not walks. None of that whip increases walks. It's all hits. Pretty crazy. Um, some of this other data is really hard. Like John Anderson, he wrote an article in 2020. He's basically like K rate and walk rate are really the only things that matter for pitchers when they're in the minors. ERA doesn't matter. Uh, hump run rate doesn't matter. And my data matches that. There's so much variance in home run rates. Like it's basically all outliers. There's like zero correlation for home run rates 
there's some correlation in ERAs and in batting average, but in home run rates, there's no correlation basically at all because the parks are so variant. The hitters they face are so variant. The leagues are so variant. They're using tacked balls in some leagues and not in other leagues. You have uh, some innings you're using robo umps and some innings you're not. So it's just, there's such variance uh, in home run rates and batting average. Um, the batting average actually for hitters and pitchers correlates pretty well. So pitchers have an average of about 30-ish points. They go up in batting average when they hit from minors to majors. So if a minor league pitcher gives up a 215 batting average in the minors, it's about 245 in the majors. So th there's about a 30, 30 point increase, even though hitters, it's a 43% decrease pitchers. It's like a 30%, 30 point increase, but that still, the correlation is not good on that. Like there are pitchers who had like just really rough runs because they're playing in one crappy park or whatever. So the correlation on batting average and on home runs is a little rough. But this, the good thing is that batting average is a little bit better. Like home runs, I would just completely ignore. How many home runs a pitcher gives up in the minor leagues? But batting average, uh, it, the, the increase of 30 points, it's about a 12% increase, which matches with the, with the 1.1 on the whip, which is about 8.5% uh, increase. So more or less, you're looking around a 10% increase in batting average and hits because we have an 8.5 on the whip and we've got a 12.5 on the batting average. So if you want to use a rough number, like a rough rule of thumb, you're going to get about 10%. You're going to get a pitcher's going to give up about 10% more hits. You're going to give up the same amount of walks and about 10% more hits when they get up the majors. And that relates to about a 10 point whip increase. So that's what you're looking at. That's fantasy value right there. Write that down. This is very good. Like I hope everyone shares this podcast because I have so much data here that if you are trying to figure out what a rookie is going to do and hit the majors, like I've never really hear anybody else talk about this kind of stuff. So please share this podcast. Um, now Sierra and ERA correlation data is just all over the place. So like I use XFIP to Sierra to Sierra cause they don't have Sierra data in the minors, but I use like a XFIP to Sierra transition and kind of like melded it. I made my own equation where I took FIP XFIP Sierra and I kind of like melded it into like one thing. Um, and it shows that like, basically it's the pitching independent stats, right? Like this is pitcher stats out of, if you try to take ERA out of the equation, it shows a 5% increase like between minors to majors, whereas ERA itself is like a 20% increase. And that's because of the home runs, because there's like no, the, the correlation, like, like I said, home runs are so all over the place that it makes ERA go get all over the place. So like ERA is really tough to read. I would kind of just ignore it. Like there's a loose correlation in ERA, but it's so bad. <laughs> like it is just it's like literally there's like a 20% range of outcomes. Like you could go anywhere from like the, the range of outcomes is so bad that like ERA, I would pretty much ignore. Now, if you're going to use one of the stats, use XFIP because you have like a 5% range of outcomes on XFIP. So like, my data shows that like if a pitcher has like a, th the average pitcher had like a 396 XFIP, it might be about 420 or so in the majors. That's about the average for qualified pitchers, um, which is about 25 points or whatever, but it's about 5%. Like the range of outcomes is around 5%. So I hope that helps. Like it's, it's just because the home runs kind of like ruin it, which it makes it like, that's why the, the pitching independent data is so much better. So, like, if you're going to try to use an ERA indicator from minors to majors, just use XFIP because there's no Sierra and just call it about a 25-point range or so. Like, it could be – that's on average. Like, it could be – literally, you could be anywhere from, like, 15-point uh, difference to, like, 45-point difference. <laughs> so, like, there you go. Like, if somebody has a 395 XFIP in the minors – it could be four in the majors or it could be 440. That's kind of just the range. So take that for what it is. But I'm going to end on that note. I hope a lot of this data is very useful. It, it is for me. Uh, and I'm trying to get very easy stats, like napkin stats for you that you can kind of use, like a rule of thumb stats. Um, I mean, I'm a real estate investor, so I'm really big on like back of napkin equations that you can just use as a rule of thumbs to kind of rule guys in and out on like what you want to do. Like this is not 
exact science, right? This is supposed to just be rule of thumb or like, because there's not even exact correlations for any of this. Like the best correlations are like 88% even. So there's still going to be range of outcomes. You can't say, oh, it's going to be exactly 5% this or 5% that, but it's close. So use this again, back of napkin stats, batting average, 43 uh, point difference. Walk for hitters, 43 point difference for batting average, two and a half percent drop on walk rate, 5.1% uh, worse on K rate. ISO is going to be about 40 point difference. And stolen bases is going to be 12% drop, but you have to figure, fa factor in, uh, they're probably going to get on base at about a 20% or so worse clip, more or less. OBP, right? You got to take OBP into account with stolen bases. You got to get on base to steal base. Pitchers, you have about a 6.5% uh, drop in K rate and in K minus walk rate because walk rate is going to be stabilized. Whip is going to go up about 0.1. ERA is, you, can, you can't judge it, but XFIP is going to be about 5 to 45 points. Just ERA, forget about it. <laughs> Again, home runs, just this, no correlation. So there's your back of napkin stats. Hope it helps. If this podcast helped you, please follow me on Twitter. Please subscribe to my podcast and review my podcast. I really appreciate that. And share it. Please share it. If this helps you, please share it. The more people who listen to my podcast, the more work I'm going to put into this stuff and the more I'm going to help you. So please share this stuff. Help a brother out. Share my stuff. It's a lot of work. I spent a ton of hours on this. I don't get paid. Um, like this data took me a week to generate just to add all this crap into my spreadsheets. And then it took me another week to decipher and to provide as like a public information. And then I also had to make spreadsheets to now add all of this data into my F-score sheets. That took another week. Um, next podcast is going to be my podcast with John, hopefully, and we'll get into more some data science and stuff like that. And then I'm also going to hopefully have my catcher rankings done for next week for F-scores. And we'll talk about catcher F-scores. Thanks for listening. Find me on Twix at Fantasy Aceball, Twix X, Twitter. Find me at Fantasy Aceball. Find my podcast, Fantasy Aceball Podcast. Please rate and review. It takes five seconds. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye.